Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, the show that offers you tips and strategies to help speakers build the business of their dreams. Now, here's your host, 30-year industry veteran and business coach, Jane Atkinson. Hey, welcome everyone to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. You know, something I have noticed that holds some, not all of my clients, but some back is people-pleasing and the inner critic. And I just happen to have a client who specializes in those topics. Welcome to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast, Amy Green-Smith. Hi, Jane. I'm so pumped to connect with you. I'm pumped as well. And I think that this topic is just so interesting when we think about all roads leading to success. You know, there are little roadblocks that can get in your way. And let's chunk down people pleasing first. I, at first, I just want to say, I don't think this is like a female only problem, is it? Of course not. No. It's across all genders. And yeah, tell us what your definition of people pleasing is. I'm really glad you asked me that because I find that there are a lot of people who kind of bristle at the moniker and they kind of, they have this assumption that somebody who is a people pleaser is incredibly meek and timid and quiet and a doormat. And that that is, could not be farther from the truth. So the way that I kind of size it up is I look at any time you put the needs of other people in front of your own where there's a severe cost to you. So saying yes to things that everybody wants from you. And then you come home and you're so exhausted that your partner gets an earful. And now there's a repercussion of that self-sacrifice. So it's interesting because I'll ask people, do you identify as a people pleaser? And they'll say, oh no, but I'm highly invested in the opinions of other people. And I'm like, well, that's a people pleaser. Yeah. Right, right. I have one client in particular who I think about and isn't it typical for, and we'll maybe veer over to the female side of things here for just for a second, for people to put themselves last, especially yes. moms. I don't That's know. Right. I don't know. Do dads do that as much? I don't know. I don't think so. You, you very seldomly will hear somebody who identifies as a man going to work and then people going, gosh, how is that being a working dad? <laughs> How do you juggle being a working dad? Like nobody says that right. to, to men typically. So, right. but I think it shows up in different ways. So, you know, we're very much in a patriarchal society, specifically here in the US, that glorifies men for what they can produce and mm-hmm. what they can achieve. So the people pleasing just looks different in that dynamic versus those who identify as women, where the pressure becomes about typically what you look like and how subservient you can be, how much you can caretake for other. I mean, there's a lot of, as progressive as we'd like to think, there are a lot of remnants mm-hmm. that that are still left over from sort of traditional male-female roles that mm-hmm. I think and, we get to call bullshit thank on. You for peop- thank you for saying people who identify as, because we recognize that things are no longer uh, black and white when it comes to roles. So 
Let's talk a little bit about boundaries. I'm assuming that part of the rectification of this problem is establishing some boundaries. It is. And I think there's one thing just of people saying that I think warrants a bit of a discussion. And so I want to talk about that briefly. And if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, and we look at one of our basic human needs is for one of belonging. So anytime there is a threat to our belonging, that registers as danger, right? So I offer that to everybody because I think it's really important that we recognize that these behavioral patterns that we've adopted, we've done so to stay safe, right? Like nobody just says, I'm going to put everybody in front of myself and I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to then believe that I'm not enough because now everybody else is more important than I am. Mm -hmm. We do it to actually caretake for ourselves. So it's likely that that behavior was something that helped you survive, maybe in a family of origin, maybe in a really aggressive workplace, maybe in a, in a rough marriage, who knows? And then typically people get to the point where they recognize that it's now impeding their success. It's no longer keeping me safe. Now, there are some situations where it does keep you safe. An example, I identify as being part of the queer community. And if I'm in an environment where there are people who are incredibly hostile to the LGBTQ plus community or something like that, People pleasing in that situation might literally keep me safe. That mm -hmm. might not be the time for boundaries. Oh, you don't talk about that in my place or that could actually be a threat to my well-being. So I think anybody who is in various marginalized identities also has to do sort of this dance a little bit of when is people pleasing actually catering to my safety? And then when is it actually stifling my growth? When is it impeding the things that I want to achieve? So, which then leads us to boundaries. Boundaries. So, you have a three step process for establishing boundaries. What are those three steps? So, the first thing that I would offer to everybody, if you're thinking, where do I, where do I even start with boundary setting? I, I like the idea of it. It's this buzzword, but what the hell does that really mean? So, if you take just a quick little inventory of any situation in your life where you tend to complain chronically about one person over and over and over again, but you're complaining to the wrong person, that's likely the area where you get to speak up. So if you're really frustrated with your boss, it's probably your partner who gets an earful. So you might be speaking up, but just to the wrong person. Right. So once you've kind of identified that, then you can go, okay, here's my opportunity. Here's probably a situation where I need to start speaking up. So the three steps, and we can certainly dig into these as much as you'd like. The right. first is around deciding on the boundary. Right. Now, let me give you the three, and then we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper. So okay. the first step is to decide. The second step is to deliver. Mm -hmm. And then perhaps the most challenging one is number three, which is enforcement. Enforce, yes. So much of the time we get so pumped up and so excited of like, I'm going to assert myself. I'm going to say what I need to say. And then the people in our lives go, does Jane really mean that? I don't know if Amy really mean. Amy just went to this convention about female empowerment and now she's got a bug up her ass and wants to do all these boundaries and they will test you. Right. Because most people 
prefer the people pleasing version of you. It bodes well for them. I want to apply a speaker scenario to this. Perfect. Let's say you have a speakers bureau who comes to you over and over again with lower fees than what you would like to be booking at. So Mm -hmm. let's say somebody is always beating you up on fees. Step one is to decide that we're going to set a boundary around that, right? Right. The key piece of the decision step is specificity and clarity. Mm. So a lot of times with the deciding on the boundary, I'm going to start charging what I'm worth. Or we say these things that are so ambiguous Mm -hmm. and don't necessarily have a quantifiable way of gauging if somebody is breaching that boundary. So in this scenario, the decision piece would be, I'm no longer going to accept any offers from this bureau that are under 7,500, 10K, 15K, whatever it is. So having that very specific number is important. Yeah, there's my bottom line. And you might have this as a broad stroke as well in your business that look, I have been getting... I have been accepting offers all over the place this last year. Everybody knows I'm a very big proponent of standing tall in your fees. You know, there's there's the odd occasion that it's like, yes, I'm just going to take that because I want to. Fine, sure. fine, I get it. But, you know, putting the line in the sand that says I will not go below this is fantastic. So step number one is decide. Step number two is deliver. So you might communicate with the bureau. Hey, just letting you know that this is my bottom line and um, any events below this, you know, move on to the next speaker type of thing. Thank you. Thank you. But no, thank you. That's right. And so the deliver piece I could talk on for like two hours. And it's also going to vary significantly depending on the relationship you have with that other person. So if it's a situation where you're delivering a boundary with your partner, that's going to be so much more collaborative of a tough conversation than if it's somebody who is not really respecting your fees, right? And so there's a couple of things that you can do. First off is to start off with gratitude and saying, hey, I really appreciate your interest in my work. And, And when you do that, it's automatically disarming. The other thing is to use vulnerability for as a benefit. And we see this a lot with Brene Brown's work around how much vulnerability can be useful in business exchanges because it automatically will have a better chance at eliciting vulnerability from the other person. So Mm -hmm. what that sounds like is not necessarily, I'm going to bare my soul to this person who I don't know that well, but it's being very candid and uh, honest and clear. So it might sound something like, starting with gratitude. Thank you so much for for always connecting with me. And it means the world to me that you actually see my work and are of in have interest in it. Mm. And I need to be really clear and really honest with you. And I don't know as if I have as of yet. And that's wildly unfair to you. That is a vulnerable statement. Okay. Instead of just like really boundering up and being so guarded in so many walls, like, please yeah. stop calling, please don't do this. You're yeah. actually saying, you know what? I don't know if I've been fully clear with you That's about good. my rates or about what I will and won't accept. Yeah. And that's on me. 
Oh. And that's, I mean, and, and you don't deserve that. And I really want to be as forthright and honest with you. So here's where I'm at. And then you can always use phrasing like, I'm not able to do this, but here's what I can do. Hmm. Right? Oh, good. So, this is great language, Amy. Thank you. <laughs> really, really good. Like I can see people just writing, typing out these letters right now. And let's let's just set this up as a template, people. For when you have an event that isn't in line with your budget, you start with gratitude. I did that kind of unconsciously, I would say. It always starts with, thank you so much for thinking about me. I'm honored that you would, you know, come to me to tap me for this, blah, blah, blah. And then vulnerable and then on from that. But this, we don't need to do that in every communication only when we're having a boundary challenge, right? That's right. Or, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you're chronically complaining about something that someone always does, but you haven't given voice to that, that's on you. And so we try to like, maybe they'll just interpret my behavior and get the hint. And I really feel like this is sort of a, a clear is kind. And think about if you were on the receiving end, that you're wasting your time, right? So in that delivery, you would then also deal with the specifics of the decision. So from number one, so then when you're delivering, you would say, so here's here's what I wanted you to know because I respect the work that you do. I am no longer accepting blah, 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 blah. Going forward into 2022 or as I've reevaluated my rates, I've decided that this is this is my fee schedule going forward. I truly hope you can understand. I hope you can respect that. Done. That's so good. I mean, you're being so clear. And so, okay, let's review number three, because this is when it actually gets tricky. So when they come back and maybe want to push that boundary one more time, just this last time, This is when it becomes essential that you say no, Yes. right? Otherwise, you don't actually have a boundary. You just have some little loosey-goosey thing that's out there. And um, I love exercise. I call it exercising the no muscle Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people, (laughs) and I do right now, uh, have a flabby muscle. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have a flabby one around. No, I just have a flabby muscle in general on my arm that I'm looking at right now. So, you know, I think just exercising that no muscle, you know, start small, start with something easy and then build. How do you, how do you start to feel a little bit more confident in your enforcement of this? Well, this is one of those things that I think we assume I'll gain all my confidence first and then I'll go magically deliver all these boundaries. And it actually doesn't work that way. It works through repetition. I love to say that courage cannot exist without fear. So if you're afraid, good, because that means you have an opportunity for bravery and courage. But here's why we need to do this. Here's why this is even important at all. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about enforcement. Because every single time that you place somebody else's wants, needs, and opinions in front of your own, you are cementing a subconscious narrative 
over and over and over again that I simply don't matter as much as this other person. And what is that? That is your self-worth. So then what happens when we're anchored into that I'm not enough place or that lack of worthiness, then we are more apt to take the nonsense from all these other folks, right? So it becomes cyclical and sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm not telling you to do this for some arbitrary personal growth, you know, assignment. I'm doing it because your self-worth literally depends on it. So the answer to that, Jane, is repetition and practice. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times what I work with my students on, and it's a whole varying degrees of types of boundaries. Sometimes it's interpersonal. Sometimes it's teachers with the parents of their students. I mean, it could be a whole myriad of things but is to reinforce that you matter, that I matter, that I am worthy. So, you know, we write it all out. We create the scripts, like literally the verbiage that I'm sharing with you. And then I give them the assignment to stand in front of their damn mirror and rehearse it. Like, let's channel some Amy Cuddy, some power poses, right? Mm -hmm. And you actually rehearse it. And also because I am a hypnotherapist as well, We'll do like some subliminal programming and things like that that are really helpful in in shifting that. But it's like anything else. Like, did you know how to put a resume together? Did you know how to deliver your speech? Well, that takes repetition and rehearsing and practicing, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. So every time you say yes to something you should have said no to, you are chipping away at your own self-confidence. Yes. Yes. So powerful. And we also have all of these idioms that noblize the idea of staying quiet. Like, don't rock the boat. All of those are just niceties and ways to say, shut the hell up and don't actually express what's, what's happening for you. I think also we get this message that, especially disproportionately for those who identify as women, that in order to be assertive, you have to be a bitch. You have to be aggressive and acrimonious and biting. And that could not be farther from the truth. So whether it is a business partnership, negotiating fees, you can be incredibly assertive Mm. and unbelievably graceful and kind at the same time. And that's why I love your letter. That is exactly an example of that. Okay. So the client I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I thought about what would be the easiest place for her to start exercising her no muscle. Yes. And she has a relationship, really good relationship with her, I think, 13-year-old daughter. And I thought, you know, practice on your kids. (laughs) I don't know if that, (laughs) how do you start saying no if you're used to always saying yes? Where do you begin? Like I was thinking the easiest, the smallest, the lowest stakes. So I thought her and her daughter have a great relationship start there. But I don't know. Is that bad advice? Not necessarily. No, I think that the the smaller wins that you can tally, I think, could snowball quite quickly. But I think with no, perhaps the easiest thing is to develop a phrase. And I'll give you a handful of ideas. Oh, yes, please. But you create a go-to phrase Uh anytime somebody asks something of you. Uh 
mm-hmm. that you are going to use. And the whole purpose of it is to buy yourself some time. Yeah. So, I was thinking, let me think about it or something like that. Was, yes. Yeah, for sure. Like rather than always saying yes to everything in this situation, everything your daughter asks for, just tell her, let me think about it. And that will actually just allow you to really think about whether or not you want to do, whether you're putting yourself last again, you know, in this situation. And it could very well be where it's, you know what, I don't think this is going to work or I'm not going to allow you to use the car this night, but here's what we can do. I'm happy to chip in for an Uber or whatever, right? So you can deliver a sort of a counter offer. But the phrases that I would use is something... First off, I always ask, how soon do you need to know? How soon do you need a commitment? Mm, That's good. And then my go-to response in order to really preserve my own autonomy and honor my own scheduling is if they say, I really need an answer right now, mm-hmm. I will say, you know what? I would hate to have to pull out last minute. So I am going to have to politely decline. I truly hope you can understand. Mm-hmm. You can also use gratitude there. Like, thank you so much for asking or thank you for leaning on me. I love being that for you. You can use vulnerability. You can say, to be really honest with you, I don't think I can add one more thing to my schedule without completely cracking. And as much as I would love to come through for you, I I really have to decline. So I use that sort of verbiage. If they say, oh, I don't need to know for a while. Great. Then you say, you know what? I really want to take a look at my calendar because I, and again, you can use vulnerability. I have a tendency to overcommit and I definitely pay the price for it later. And I don't want our awesome relationship, friendship, connection to be marred by my poor decision-making, right? So there's ways that you can say, you can really look at it through a noble lens of, no, I need to do this. So when I do make that commitment, I'm all in. Now, I do want to circle back if it's okay with you, Jane, to talk a little bit about that final piece of enforcement of what that might actually verbally sound like. Okay. So if we go back to the scenario of the overly aggressive bureau contact who keeps, you know, knocking on the door and in these situations, it's very tricky and it's nuanced, but by relationship. So you get to decide how many times am I willing to enforce this boundary before it becomes a consequence or an ultimatum. Okay. So what it usually is going to sound like at the beginning is saying something like, hello, so-and-so really put a hard line down about my fees. And I really wanted to make sure that you know that that's serious for me, that perhaps I wasn't clear about how much of a line in the sand that was. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to know that, that that's nothing has changed. So again, you state your request. So my request would be that you don't proposition me for any jobs that are paying lower than this amount. Again, appreciate your interest, but please know it will be a no unless it's at this amount or higher. Okay. Right. So then you get to decide how many times am I willing to respond to these emails? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you get to decide, like, please do not contact me any longer. Right. Yeah. Like, if you feel like it gets that yeah. awful, most of the time, if you're just really clear and specific and say, here's my actual request, most of the time people will. you know, kind of back off a little bit. It's usually if you leave the door open that people go, oh, yeah. we've all had that friend who's in the MLM, right? 
We've all had that friend who's like, hey, check out the leggings I'm selling or check out the protein powder. I have this amazing opportunity. And unless you say I'm not interested or I would, I really appreciate what you're into. It's not something that I want going forward. Please, please no longer proposition me. Unless you do that, there's a door open. Yeah. And people are going to keep opening the door. Or open a little bit. And that a lot of people do that when quoting their fees. They say, my fee is 10000 and I travel from Dallas. But and or if, however, you know, that no. is actually leaving the door open to saying, if you don't have that amount of money, then I'm going to try to make it work for you. And, and so th- this is very interesting. I want to back up and just say for sure there's probably of all the speakers bureaus that I know and bureau agents, there's only one person that I can think of that's as aggressive as the person that we're talking about right okay. now. And that is that, you know, many, many of you have probably never even heard of this person. So just FYI, this isn't a <laughs> common thing. If you've been thinking about working with bureaus and you're like, oh, they sound a little obnoxious. No. Okay. So I would love to move over to, because we're running out of time here, and I don't want to not get to silencing your inner critic. We sometimes can be our own worst enemy. Example, I remember years ago, my very first speaker that I represented, Betska, she um, got an evaluation. She got 89 brilliant evaluations and one bad one. And both of us, I think maybe even more so me, honed in on that one bad one and really just uh, blew it up, you know, in our minds and made it a big deal. And oh boy, this is it. Career over. So let's talk about talking about, let's talk about your inner critic and how hard we are on ourselves. That's right. So, so a couple of things. First off, if you understand what the inner critic is actually doing, it's the critical factor of the mind, which typically isn't developed for us until about the age of eight-ish. So that means that up until the age of eight, you are highly suggestible. It's like you're walking around in a hypnotic trance and you just absorb everything. Well, that's a very formidable time for us where we start to develop these belief systems that carry through our entire life until we decide to dismantle them. Beliefs like, I need to take care of everybody else in order to be valuable, Mm -hmm. right? So kind of coming full circle to that. So the deal is your inner critic acts almost like a little guard dog between the conscious part of the mind and the subconscious part of the mind, which is one of the reasons why I love hypnosis so much is it essentially puts puts that little guard dog to sleep. So you can create continuity. Just temporarily. (laughs) Just enough to make you cluck like a chicken. Just kidding. (laughs) Not really a thing out there. So, but what happens is if I have this new idea that I'm going to go petition all of these different associations and put myself out there as a speaker going off quite simply because it's new. And so what's happening is that inner critic is going, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've not crossed that territory before. Are you sure that it's safe? Are you sure that we're okay? So sometimes, and not always, but sometimes the inner critic gets loud just when something's new, not necessarily when it's dangerous. Okay. 
but it will act as though there's an imminent threat. It also happens when we try to do things like speak up for ourselves or believe that we are enough or worthy or valuable. That inner critic goes, Hey, that's not, that's not the messages that we have down here in the subconscious. Or I don't, we don't know what empowerment looks like. Let's just stay people pleasers because even though that's uncomfortable, it's familiar. And so the brain goes, let's stay with homeostasis, whatever's familiar. So that is why anytime you start to shift a disempowering belief, your inner critic goes, wait, are you sure? Are, wait, wait, wait. And that's when it sends in all of the really rude commentary. Mm. So it's reckon- So what I do a lot of times is one piece is if my inner critic is loud, I know that I'm onto something. Oh. So I remind myself like, ooh, if your inner critic is getting chatty, then you must be onto something. Mm. There must be something here that doesn't register as totally safe. So that inner critic is going, are you sure we want to put ourselves out there that much? Are you sure you want to make that phone call? I don't know. Now, there are other situations like the one I mentioned earlier with you know, being in a scenario where I might not actually be safe. Your inner critic is actually piping in then going, hey, we might not be safe. Let's navigate out of this. And, and so that is important, of course. So one of the ways that you can check in with that is, okay, is this a method of me actually having impending threat? Or is my fear response or the voice of fear, which is your inner critic, is that just getting in the way of something that just happens to be new, that I haven't explored what confidence feels like or speaking up for myself or boundaries? Because still to this day, every time I set up a boundary or have a tough conversation, there is a little bit of a heart palp. It depends who it is. It depends how close I am involved. But again, I remind myself, all right, you cannot have courage without fear. So we have some fear here. Now is the opportunity for bravery and to call upon courage. Do we need to give have a little chat with our inner critic prior to going into, say, a negotiation? So here's what I do. I don't want the inner critic driving the bus. That's going to be a bad scenario. Absolutely. So what I do, because I used to do a lot of theater, and when I would go to auditions, my heart would start racing and I would get so nervous, right? So I would talk to my inner critic. I would talk to my fear response. So I would say to myself like, oh, how cute. You're so sweet. You think we're going to be like attacked by a mountain lion. We're actually not in danger, my sweet. But thank you for making the sweaty palms. Thank you for the rapid heartbeat. Thank you so much. But we've got this. And so I'm talking to that part of me that's like, are we in danger? Oh my God, are we in danger? And that has not only been calming, but also it's a distraction for your mind. So Mm. instead of, oh my gosh, am I going to forget my lines? Am I going to you know, all of these disastrous things. Now we're just actually being loving towards the part of ourselves that's trying to keep us safe. So another just sort of inner critic hack that everybody can use, you don't necessarily have to jump into something overly positive. So we see things around like, if you don't think that you are intelligent enough, competent enough, accomplished enough, to actually retort to that inner critic and say, you are accomplished enough. You are, feels like a bold faced lie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like the truth at all. So 
in those situations, instead of trying to do something overly, overly positive, shift it to something that's just plain empowering. Like you're allowed to feel how you feel Mm. or 89 gorgeous comments that you just received about this keynote. Yeah. Focus on what you do have versus what you don't have, or just very simply shutting it down saying, nope, not helpful, not going down that road. You know, T. Harvecker always says, cancel, cancel. Thank you for sharing. Like, nope, now let's focus on something else. I love it. I love it. Amy, I could talk to you all day long, but we are actually running out of time, my friend. Tell everybody, I I should have started this at the very beginning. Tell everybody what it is that you specialize in your business and how do they get in touch with you? What's the best first step if somebody wanted to know more about you and your work? Sure. So your first item of business, my the place I hang out with, my corner of the internet is amygreensmith.com. And green is like the color, no E at the end. And you'll see sort of a bevy of different freebies over there. But I would suggest that you get your hand on my free e-workbook that you'll see right when you go over there. And it's called Speak Up for Yourself Without Being a Dick. And it's specifically nine proven challenges to help help you get into action around some of the stuff that we're talking about here to kind of catapult that self-worth. So yeah. And so I speak on a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today. I speak largely about finding your voice and what that actually sounds like. Got a couple of examples here. Courage, contending with fear, and also worthiness, enoughness. What does that look like to genuinely believe in your own intrinsic power? I probably hang out the most on Instagram, like any self-respecting Gen Xer. And so you can find... uh, The name of your podcast as well. My podcast... Thank you. I've totally spaced on that. I've been doing a podcast for almost nine years. We just recently changed the name. And it's called the Bold Face Truth Podcast. So you can find me on any major podcast platform. And my social handle pretty much everywhere, but I'm mostly on Insta, is at Hey Amy Green Smith. So. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Amy. Of course. I, really, we could have just kept going and going and going because... You have such a beautiful depth of knowledge uh, around this. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who were taking this in. So I hope we helped some people out there today. If so, hey, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you for being a part of the Wealthy Speaker podcast, my listeners. And with that, we will say, see you soon, Wealthy Speakers. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast. If you need help building the speaking business of your dreams, head over to WealthySpeakerSchool.com and take advantage of our 20-minute next-step call. Thanks for listening to the Wealthy Speaker Podcast.